This is Mercy Harper, writer for research services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC podcasts on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot of stereotypes about how different generations communicate and collaborate in the virtual workplace. But are the experiences of millennials, Gen Xers, and baby boomers all that different? And if so, does that even matter? To figure this out, I invited three guests for a chat about cross-generational collaboration. Jude Cohen, social strategist at Ogilvy, is a millennial. Lauren Trees, principal research lead for knowledge management at APQC, is a Gen Xer. And Cindy Hubert, executive director of client solutions at APQC, is a baby boomer. This is part one of a two-part podcast, and I hope you'll check out both. Now, without further ado, here's our chat. So first, I wanted you all to give me a rose, a thorn, and a bud for your experience with virtual collaboration. So a positive highlight, that's the rose, a challenge, that's the thorn, and a new idea or something you're interested in, and that's the bud. So maybe we could go in age order and start with Jude. I'll take it. Okay, so for my rose, I think the thing that has been most transformative for me is being able to work anywhere. And that has given me the flexibility to both live at the beach for an extended period of time, but also to go home and take care of my mom when she got sick. And so it really is this like extra powerful ability to not have to hinder my work because my life has other priorities, whatever those priorities might be, because it's really working and collaborating using technology has really, in the past year, removed this stigma that people working remotely were somehow playing hooky or were less productive. And it's this false idea that we would have lower productivity uh, if we're not chained to our desks. So that's my rose is being able to move around and still maintain my productivity. And my thorn is that I'm really missing water cooler chats in that there is so much synergy and creativity to be had in the hallways in that we don't tend to end up on Slack channels or Zoom meetings with people that we're not necessarily on a direct project with. And so I'm not really hearing the tidbits of my colleagues work who I don't work on specific teams or clients with. And that can be where some of the greatest ideas come from or where some of the greatest cross collaboration comes from. And so I'm, I'm missing making my coffee in the morning and standing in line and waiting for like the terrible coffee dispenser, because that's when I chat with the producers who I don't work with on a day-to-day basis. Or that's when I chat with my colleagues who work on different clients for me. And I kind of get to hear what's going on in their lives and their projects. I'm missing that external stimulus from outside of my teams. And My bud is a little bit related to that. I recently was made aware of this 
platform. I don't actually know if it's new or not, so I'm not going to call it new, but it's called Wonder. Uh, you can find it at wonder.me online. And it allows you, it's kind of like, and I will very definitely ground myself in a generation here. It's kind of like if Zoom and Clubhouse had a baby because you can see the different rooms that people are in. It's very visual. You can see the topics of what people are discussing and who is in those rooms. And then when you go into those rooms, it's like a Zoom breakout room. However, you're controlling your own movement among them. And so a colleague and I are working on a social program literally just to recreate water cooler chat among our colleagues and have this one time where we can all be in the same platform discussing different topics and moving from room to room as we please and gleaning some of that inspiration and getting some of that synergy back. I'm going to talk about mine, but I'm also probably going to respond to some of Jude's because I'm interested in them. So. I can't help but look at this from the perspective of the research that we do and, and the work that we do here. And I feel like for me, both personally and in the, the lens of the research, the positive is that you get unstuck. And when people are forced to be virtual, they realize that there are a lot of hard collaboration activities that have previously, people have said no, we can't do this online. We need to be face to face for this particular type of activity that I think when you literally can't do that, you figure out a way to do that. And people all of a sudden are bringing virtual whiteboarding into Zoom meetings and layering different capabilities and trying to figure out how to do some of these things. And so, and I think the water cooler chat is part of that. I don't think that we've fully um, figured that out yet, but I feel like there's a lot of energy and excitement because that's the challenge that people see and the thing that the number one thing that they miss. Um, so I feel like there's uh, we're going to solve that problem, and and I feel like in some way, and and I think that's really exciting. So for me, the negative is the same as the positive in certain ways that we moved really quickly and we have run before we could crawl with a lot of these things in rapid change over the last year. And I think that we've created a lot of chaos and we all feel some of that. There's so many different pulls where changing so much, leveraging so many new tools. The tools are changing all the time. Our behaviors within the tools are changing all the time. And, and I think that there is a feeling of fatigue and people, I don't want people to shy away from, from some of these, this change just because there's so much of it so quickly. So I'm definitely concerned about that. And I think the thing that I'm most interested in is how all of this pans out over the next year or two. As people are able to return to the office, what do we keep? What do we get rid of that we've that we've changed? And, and what are the new habits that we need for this more hybrid world going forward? And, and just figuring out how all that plays out. I was sharing with Mercy earlier today an article in the Times about how the Googleplex is preparing uh, for, for people to return to the office, including setups like Campfire, where you have equal sort of visual uh, for the in-person people and the virtual people as part of a, a circle around, um, you know, so just sort of different ways that people are thinking about this, both culturally and, and technologically in terms of, of how the hybrid environment and the hybrid office is going to work.
Mercy, I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to start with the thorn. Of course, I'm going to mix it up. So one of the things I realized, and I'm very much like Lauren, I so it's hard for me to separate personal and work experience when it comes to virtual collaboration because they always seem to dovetail and they relate to each other. But the thorn for me or the biggest challenge was was that we realized that, or I realized that, our virtual collaboration processes were really not well-defined. So we were all thrown into this virtual world, and from a business perspective, we were just severely lacking in our ability to move right away. Whether or not your platforms were there, things just seemed to be a hodgepodge, and nothing worked really smoothly. And it also pointed out a lot of things around helping information flow, content flow, um, helping manage the information overload that began to happen again with business rules. That, to me, was very disappointing. I thought that we had that sort of conquered and it even bled over to even um, in my personal life as I got my 83 year old mother onto Zoom to have some face to face and talk. I even realized that the processes there were rather clunky. The, the platform is great, but it was the human behaviors as, as Lauren talked about. So that that was my big thorn to just say we I thought we were ready for this. And as we all got thrown into it, we really weren't. It's getting better and I've got some examples of that. So. The but is we are getting more and more comfortable with digital tools and think about it. There's actually peer pressure to turn on cameras. And I know um, my younger generations go, oh, Cindy, but yeah, we're getting a lot of people in my age bracket and, in, and being in the workforce as long as I have to start turning on cameras. Number one, <clears throat> you feel guilty if you don't. And the other thing that I like is that a lot of our productivity tools that Lauren was talking about are really being converted to digital. So not only the, the whiteboards, but we're really understanding how to under, do chat. And the but in all of this is there's this special skill set that's being developed on how to help manage all of this because I'm sorry guys, I still think people need facilitation where whether it's automated or whether it's human bent, people still need some guidance going that. So Jude, I'm very interested in wonder.com to see what it does. And then finally, my rose was both a work and personal experience at the same time. So you all know that I've been very deep into knowledge transfer for years. I'm always interested in it, how it's done. And one of the big concerns is that, oh, you just cannot transfer deep experiential knowledge in a virtual world where everybody's in different places. And we did. I worked with one of APQC's members last fall that had some um, senior people leaving one in particular with a lot of knowledge. And we set up this beautiful knowledge transfer approach where deep, deep knowledge was transferred. And it was different, right? The processes were different. We didn't do it all in one swoop because nobody can sit on a virtual call for that long and really pay attention. So we set it up in bites. It included people from across 
across the generation, both experts, nexperts, those up and coming, and novices, and then those in between. And I think there were really three things that happened. So before, we did a lot of pre-work, we scoped the knowledge, we had questions prepared, we used the whole group to do this, we had a knowledge map to understand the high priority areas. During the critical success factor was that the expert did the interview with the expert. So the facilitator, which was APQC, didn't have to always think of that. It was the people involved in the process, and that got everybody engaged and a lot of collaboration and a lot of dialogue went on. And then afterwards, of course, I'm proud of my knowledge management teams because they can come in and really help manage all that content and information and use the tools. So it was a great virtual collaboration experience on the transfer of deep knowledge. Yeah, Cindy, I just had a conversation with a oil and gas company about their lessons learned process. And it's the same thing that we see where they used yeah. to have to travel often to remote locations to do these lessons learned facilitation workshops and that limited the amount of them that they could do, the amount yeah. of knowledge that they could capture. So they were saying that last March when the pandemic hit, they thought that they were going to be able to capture fewer lessons and learn less from these projects, but really the opposite has happened because yeah. they've been able to do it so much more seamlessly and that's allowed them to do it more frequently with a wider variety of global teams. There's a lot of advantages and Jude, I'd be interested in it from your perspective because that again, we we really have gone into this saying, oh, you have to be face to face. We had tried a few of them virtually before it wasn't really successful. But all of my and I'm just going to call them my Gen, Gen Ys that were on there. And I think I even had a Gen Z, but they were very engaged. Now, it took a little bit to get them there, but I think that next part was the real critical success factor. But I don't know if you've had that experience of getting them engaged when you have that whole generational view. Cindy, first of all, I just wrote down the word expert because I haven't heard it and I love it. Give, <laughs> give Lockheed it, Martin the credit for that. They came up with it, but I use it all the time. I will do. I love it. And I also think that both your question and Lauren's response go back to the fact that there was this stigma that we can't do it as well if we're not in person and we're not face to face. But now that we've been forced to, the tools are just that. They're the tools. It also really matters who's wielding them. And you can give someone a paintbrush, but that doesn't make them an artist. And so what I mean by that is we have these tools at our disposal and now we're kind of all waking up and figuring out how to use them but it also takes some training and some finesse to make something beautiful from that and so just because you now know how to facilitate something online doesn't necessarily mean that you are the best at it it means you can do it and from there you can grow and so there are so many other ways to pull people in and engage them in a presentation that you're making or a workshop that you're running or a brainstorm session. Lauren, I love that you've mentioned the virtual whiteboarding. One of my favorite tools for that is Google's Jamboard. And there are two reasons that I love it. The first is that it's within the Google Suites. And so if you already know how to use Google Docs or Google Sheets or Google Slides, it feels pretty intuitive in terms of the user experience. And the second reason that I love it is that it is 
so collaborative and that it really does involve people in the thing that you are working on together. And that doesn't need to just be reserved for brainstorming sessions. It could be that you are running a workshop or that you're on a panel and that's how you want to collect the questions as opposed to just having the audience members submit through Zoom chat, but really getting them involved in a way that feels engaging and also that feels fun. And fun is not overrated in the workplace, especially the virtual workplace. We're so inundated right now in what we're consuming. And let me remind you that like work meetings count as content. If I'm spending time staring at a screen and taking something in, that counts as content. And I, if I'm also unplugging after work, theoretically unplugging, but I'm like watching Netflix while I cook dinner or whatever it is, I'm taking in a lot of information. And so we're still competing for people's attention and we have to do that in a way that is worth grabbing the attention. And I think one of the things that's been so interesting to me as things have gotten unstuck is I think people have felt um, like they could be more vulnerable and you could try some radical experimentation with how collaboration works and everyone accepted that it was going to be a hot mess the first time you did it and it wasn't always going to create the outcomes that you anticipated but you were going to learn and you were going to do that together i think sometimes we don't move forward and innovate in the ways that we want to because we feel like we have to have a perfect product and i feel like if the pandemic has given us one silver lining it's that everybody is just willing to go into it figure it out together and and that has been a really beautiful outcome i think that um i, I still think there's some thorns in there i like mercy's word because well I, i've just been i think what we've not learned business i think has a really hard time learning from the social experience because i'm listening to you we just do it so naturally. You you don't mind experimenting like Lauren said. You just do it. And yet in business, we still have that need for perfection, like how I'm looking and people looking at me, um, not allowing large audiences to talk because you're somebody's driving and you get the background noise. And I still feel like we've got a hurdle to get over on how all of this is going to seamlessly translate to the business. I think it's going there. I agree with you, Lauren. I think it's going there, but I just still think we have some hurdles. And I've been into two presentations that were real formal to large groups of people. And of course, I'm walking in saying, let's interact, let's chat, let's talk. But we've got them clamped down to just chat, you know, use the chat, no verbal. And it's just really, I think we're still there, not quite there yet. That's what my turn was about the processes and stuff. We're not there yet. So I wanted to ask whether you think different generations approach virtual collaboration differently. And I don't want you to feel like you have to give the safe answer to not hurt anyone's feelings. You know, we know that this might have some stereotypes in it, but what, what do you think? Um, and maybe we can start with Lauren on that one generational differences are almost always overblown and most people want the same things at work. There's not that much difference and we can do ourselves a real disservice when we assume too much otherness from the groups that we're working with. But that said, we do see some really interesting patterns in the research. So I will try to avoid stereotypes by at least talking, talking data. 
And, and what we've seen is that the younger generations tend to gravitate more towards what I would call collaborative layering, where you're using a lot of different collaboration capabilities in the context of the same app or the same tool, maybe at the same time. So you're in a virtual meeting, collaborating on a document, also using the chat feature, and maybe you're DMing people who are in that meeting about related topics. Older generations tend to be more comfortable with a little bit simpler, more standalone collaboration capabilities. So tools or apps that do one thing really well, but don't do 15 different Swiss Army knife type of capabilities. But at the same time, boomers are much more likely to be okay leveraging the same channels for professional and personal communication. And the most obvious and for me surprising example of this in our research was text messaging. Older generations really like to text for work communication, whereas millennials, Gen Z do not like that. So they may be fine working on their phone, but they want those messages to come through a Teams or a Slack app or something like that. So, so I think there are differences. I, they don't always fit the stereotypes because the stereotype is that younger people are always on their phones and they love the text, but they don't. That that's not how they want to communicate for work. So I think that older workers really can learn from how some of their younger colleagues have mastered the collaborative environment and are maybe leveraging it a little bit more efficiently and safely. I think this. Um what what the baby boomers, the Gen Xers struggle probably more with is just how to make the time and space for the virtual collaboration because it just wasn't a natural thing. And I love the fact that you said, I'm going back to the water cooler and creating because right, that was the experience. We have a new coffee bar here at APQC. I have seen more people in the last two weeks because of that than can believe. But again, we are back at the office. So it's just it's that personal touch that doesn't always happen with virtual collaboration because you may have to force it some to, to create that space. I mean, of course, of course, we approach virtual collaboration differently, but it's not necessarily an age thing. And I kind of want to reject that that's what it has to do with. I think that we are all products of our environment. And I was thinking about this question a lot because if you think about how we all developed and when in our developmental stages technology was developing, I think that actually tells us a lot about how we virtually collaborate and use technology to collaborate. So for example, as I was growing up in my most developmental stage, technology was also like in this massive boom of really rapid development. And so I was being forced to adapt along with it every few months to every year. And, and I think like one very basic example is computers. And the first, I had my first computer lessons in kindergarten on like a big box Macintosh desktop. And that was different by the time I was in third grade and learning to type. And that was infinitely different by the time I was graduating high school with a MacBook Air that I did the majority of my schoolwork on. And even now, and actually, no, I'm not going to get into what kids are using now because that's also such a generational difference for me. I can't imagine like taking my AP US history notes on an iPad or like, or any sort of tablet. And 
that said, I was developing myself alongside technology's development, which really forced me to be adaptable when it comes to technology. And I think that that has really shaped how my generation has jumped into this world of virtual work. That said, personally, separately from my generation, I'm not an early adopter when it comes to pretty much anything, but I kind of force myself to be because I know that I have to be adaptable to keep up. It's like the shark swims or dies. And so if I, I know if I don't keep swimming, if I don't keep going forward, I'm going to make myself irrelevant and I'm not going to be able to keep up with whatever the newest trend or technology or just way of working is. And so I think that when you apply that view that I really just focused on millennials to when the various dif different generations came to the different types of technology that were developing. A boomer got a cell phone after all of their developmental stages happened. They were like pretty solidified in their adult lives by the time cell phones were commonplace for everyone to be carrying around in their purses or pockets. Whereas my I got my first cell phone after everyone in my grade did. I'm not so bitter about it, but I was in eighth grade uh, and and that was actually like two years after a lot of my contemporaries got cell phones. And so all to say, like, if you grow with these things, it's different from if they come into your life later, just as it's different from if you have them from the beginning and know nothing different. And so I think that actually is a really encapsulating illustration of how the different generations relate to technology and therefore to virtual collaboration. What we see in our research is absolutely reflective of that. And, and I don't want to make any kind of essentialist argument for young people versus old people. I think that everybody comes to it uh, it, you know, because of their circumstances. When you were talking, what that made me think of is I feel like we're just now starting to see enter the professional workforce, people who are maybe digital natives to social media in particular. And from a virtual collaboration perspective, I'm interested in how that may shift things up again in terms of uh, how people want to interact. <laughs> I will say one note on that where I, have a lot of college students reaching out to me who want advice on how to break into advertising, which is the industry I work in. And personally, I don't want them clogging my work inbox. I don't tend to be as responsive in my personal email. And so I tell them to Instagram DM me because it is where I'm most responsive. Cindy, similar to what you're saying about your nieces and Snapchat, like I don't, I don't want to text them. They're not my friends. I don't want them in my work email. They're not my colleagues. If they want a response from me, they're going to have to Instagram DM me. I like it. No, it's that whole span, guys. That's that was um, I was sharing with you all the fun uh, visual earlier about generation gaps, and it said the preferred mode of communication, starting with the um, Gen Z, is Snapchat. So we could say that millennials is more selfies. Gen X is text. Baby boomers are lawsuits and the greatest generation, and I can relate th to this, my mother, guilt-inducing phone calls. Yeah. 
So yeah, thank you, Bruce Spearstein, for doing that. But yeah, I, I hear you. I think you're right on. But I also feel like the longer you've had and lived with this frenetic pace of technology, the more comfortable you are switching platforms. I feel like yeah. the, and I feel this way even in my personal life that I'm on a lot of social platforms I don't particularly like, but I'm I'm too lazy. There's too much inertia to move to the next thing. And when I look at people who are, you know, 10, 20 years younger than me, I, I think that there's going to be more movement. And, and, and we're forced to do that in the workplace because we don't get to make those choices about platforms a lot of the time. And so I think that that's an incredibly important adaptive skill. Yes. I'm Mercy Harper. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please go to apqc.org to learn more and have a great rest of your day.